2: The 2019 fantasy football season is behind us. We're still talking about the rest of the action to come this season on Roto Viz Radio.
1: What's up, Roto Viz?
2: Hi everyone, welcome to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We are brought to you tonight by the FFPC and my bookie. It is officially well, I guess it's not actually officially over, Matt, as the Monday night game is going, but for a lot of people, their 2019 fate has been sealed. How did your Sunday go?
1: Uh It went pretty well. Uh, the dynasty league I care about the most. Uh, I'm winning the championship game right now, and it, it would take a lot for me not to win it. So that's looking pretty good. Um, didn't do as well in the championship game in the industry league. I'm in uh, the dynasty. Uh, I was playing JJ uh, from Number fire, and uh, you know, he, he had the great team. Uh, I had a team that was merely good. And actually, it's interesting. I'd like your perspective on this. Would you rather have a team that made it to the championship game and then just totally laid an egg um, or a team that was awesome uh, and did well in the championship game, but just ran into like the better team? It was like you had a championship winning performance in week 16, but someone else's team just somehow went above.
2: I it's a tricky question. I think unfortunately at the end of the day what really gets remembered are the teams that win the whole thing regardless of how good they may have been throughout the whole duration of the season. Um still though, I think with the way that my mind works, I'd rather have that team that was like the best team overall throughout the season and things even if things didn't hit right in the finals so be it. Yeah. Does that I answer mean- the question?
1: Yeah, I I think so. You know, so like I'm I'm not super disappointed in the loss I had to JJ because my team did well. You know, it was just his team went off. He had Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. You know, there was just like little that could be done against those two guys. Um, But yeah, I mean, week 16, I think it went pretty well. Um, you know, lots of injuries, which is kind of unfortunate for I mean any week, but especially yeah. championship week. And then uh, you know, Kenyon Drake continues to make us look like profits. Uh <laughs> hasn't hasn't paid off for us in our FFPC league. It was a little, you know, it was it was a case of too much too late. Yep. But um, yeah, uh Kenyon Drake looking intriguing for next year's drafts. So this is gonna be like the third year in a row coming up where I'm like Kenyon Drake, we gotta get him.
2: I know. Well, I was thinking about that as I was putting together some thoughts for the show. And I know we've talked about Drake a lot, but we now see him potentially being the MVP, if you will, of the fantasy playoffs. We see now a number of fantastic performances. I don't think people can really question if he has the ability to be an RB1 type of player. What really matters is the situation. Now, I know that there have been a number of examples that people could point to even as recently as Damien Williams of a player that really turns things on down the stretch will that carry through to next year I'm inclined to say that Drake is one of those cases if he's in Arizona where I don't think much changes and I don't think this was some type of anomaly what we saw with him to close out the season so I do think if Drake returns to Arizona he's a surefire RB1 in my book
1: yeah. I mean, how tilting is it that this guy is basically, he's done what I thought he was going to do. It was just under totally different circumstances and it was concentrated in a way where it came far too late to be of any benefit. But I mean, you look at the numbers, he's over a thousand yards, you know, like he's had three good games this year, you know, <laughs> the rest were trash, but he was good enough in those three games to get to a thousand yards I mean, closer to 1100 yards by the time the season's over, he could have 1200 yards. He's had, he has seven touchdowns. Like he's actually had a, a pretty, I'm trying to think of the right word. Cause it hasn't even been a good season. It's just been like a flashy season with some really tall peaks.
2: Right. I don't know what the word would be either, but I guess the thing that I would say for people to keep in mind is even if there have just been these peaks, the peaks have been so impressive that it would be a very sustainable type of situation. I think in comparison to a lot of other options that one might have on their team for running back um, that, you know, those peaks you'll take, I would also be inclined to say too, that we might sing, see things kind of smooth out if he is in Arizona
1: next year, especially as that offense takes steps forward. Here's, and I, I mean, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Here's one more thought on this yep. Um, because of the peaks And because, so I I have this theory that maybe like people overvalue the big moments, right? And so, like, people will overweight um, the big production that he's given in a few games. And then, especially because those games came near the end of the season. So, there's like this recency bias, but then also because um, it came in like the big moment of the fantasy playoffs, there's like this selection bias. Of just thinking, oh, like, yeah, when it really mattered, he produced. I could see him being overdrafted next year just because of when he went off and how he did it.
2: I completely hear what you're saying. For whatever reason, my gut instinct and my intuition is that people are going to not want to buy into Drake. I I I hope so. I hope so. I don't have a whole lot to base that on yet. But I feel like people still aren't entirely convinced. And I think what they're losing sight of is that Drake doesn't need to be the superb player. The Cardinals just needed a running back that was operational, if you will, in that backfield. That's all that really needed was needed.
1: Here's one thing. I know this just turned into the Kenyon Drake podcast as if we haven't had enough of those this year. But here's one thing that is kind of a little bit scary. Um, He has touchdowns in just three games this year. And those also happen to be the only three games in which he has uh, 100 yards rushing, and I believe even 100 yards from scrimmage. So I don't want to say it's like his touchdowns are totally the result of big games and big plays, but um, I'm worried that there's a situation with him where if he doesn't find the end zone, he's not the type of guy who can sustain on usage and yardage alone.
2: That could be a good point. I mean, if you look at the target totals as recently as week 13, 5, 3, 1, 4, I mean, there's some involvement there, but that's not the type of usage as a receiver that's going to propel him to have a safe floor week to week. 22 rushes in week 15, 24 rushes in week 16. Obviously, if we see volume like that, we'd be in a good spot. Some of this, I think, is going to depend on just... A, we need to see who the team retains, what Drake is able to sign for if he does return to the team, um, and then B, get a better sense of what the rest of the offensive makeup is going to look like and then go from there. But I still think if I have to make the decision right now, I am strongly considering him as an RB1. Yeah,
1: that's, that's hilarious <laughs> that, that, that you're, you're there. You're there. Yeah yeah that's great
2: but i mean to me it makes even more sense
1: this year i think than it well i don't know i it it makes more sense for this upcoming season than it did this past year right
2: Yeah. yeah i i think that we can both agree on that yeah uh but a quick reminder our friends at the ffpc are there to tell you that the season is not over. They have the longest running and most unique playoff contest in the fantasy football universe, the FFPC Playoff Challenge. It's $200 to enter in this year. The grand prize is up to a giant half a million dollars with over 1.1 million in the total prize pool. I know a number of guys that play in this every year. They swear by this thing. Um, It's a different format. There's no salary cap. No draft to worry about. You just choose 10 players to make up your team's roster. And as you might expect, there's a catch. You're only allowed to use one player from each NFL team. That means if you choose Tom Brady as your quarterback, you may not have any other Patriots on your roster. That's a really fun little wrinkle. There's all of these different scenarios that you can work through to assemble your team. Um, And it just kind of... It brings in a new element to playing fantasy that a lot of people really like, especially to close out the year. And that roster that you pick is your roster for the entire duration of the playoffs, including the Super Bowl. Naturally, there's a lot to consider there. There will not be any changes, substitutions, or free agent pickups once rosters are locked. As NFL teams get knocked out, so will your players, so choose your team wisely. This contest will sell out as it does every year. Registrations close on NFL Wild Card Saturday, January 4th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't wait. Go to myffpc.com and get your team now. That's myffpc.com. Any other thoughts from you, Matt, on the action this weekend before we look at a couple of bets that you had placed way back in the summer that kind of placed this season into context?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I guess it is a way of transitioning uh, yet another fantastic performance from Lamar Jackson. Um, and I, I mean, obviously he did it as a runner, had another big rushing day, but You know, I was impressed by what I saw out of him as a passer, especially, you know, at the two minute drill at the end of the first half to score back-to-back touchdowns pretty quickly. Um, You know, just impressed with what Lamar Jackson is doing as a, you know, a football player as opposed to like a fantasy player. Because there there is a difference. Crappy quarterbacks can still end up having, you know, QB1 fantasy seasons, but I think Lamar Jackson is clearly not just a fantasy quarterback. Like he's I'm pretty impressed by what I've seen with him.
2: Yeah, no, I was so wrong on Jackson. He has just been absolutely incredible to the point that I feel if I'm a Ravens fan, so confident about the level of play that he has that I'm really expecting to win the Super Bowl this season. Anything (laughs) less, you know, is probably a disappointment. But I think a lot of that really has to do with how solid Jackson has been. And he's not making a lot of mistakes really at all. Yeah, I mean that's
1: spoken like a, a true Patriots fan to be like, <laughs> we've got a great quarterback, we're winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> but no, I yeah. mean what what yeah. is impressive about the the uh, not the Falcons, the uh, the Ravens is I mean it's not just Lamar Jackson, like their defense has become much better in the second half of the season, and um, I mean I never think it's a great idea for teams to build their offense around the ground game. But when your running attack is as good as the Ravens is uh, and as like multifaceted, I think it's a little more justifiable and they can really control the game with their rushing attack. So I, I think it's it's fine. Um, and then, you know, what he does as a passer is sufficient enough within the context of their offense to to make it you know pretty explosive. So, yeah. Uh, we don't need to talk about Lamar yeah. Jackson, but, but that does bring except, us to a natural question though, but yeah,
2: um, Mark Ingram, you know, you talked about the team's rushing attack. How do you view the Ravens responding if they do have to go into the playoffs without Mark Ingram? Uh, he injured his calf on Sunday, left the game, right? I'm not sure if he, well, he left the building in a walking boot. Mm-hmm. Does that concern you at all for this team?
1: a little bit but not really. I mean like this is a a zero rb podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> no uh I mean Gus Edwards I thought looked pretty good in his uh you know his second half of relief and Justice Hill is someone that you know we've been pretty high on as a uh you know as a dynasty you know long term dynasty hold and uh you know an athletic guy like he hasn't gotten much action which I think is good because he's fresh but he's gotten enough action where I feel like he could take over in that offense if he needed to and you know be just as good as the guys in front of him so i like ingram uh i I think it would you know be nice to see him win a championship um but no if if ingram's not there i don't think it makes a difference
2: yeah like you said uh between edwards and justice hill i think there's enough of a skill set there that they can use it to really cover a very high percentage of what Ingram would be able to do. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. I do want to follow up with one more quarterback-related question before we move on. Yeah, And we're going to talk about him. We know your love for Kyler Murray. So actually, this is a good uh... way to transition into our next topic. Do you know where I'm going with this? Because what I'm going to ask you is, and you're going to have to try to remove some of those thoughts that you had about him heading into the season. At this point, how much better of a quarterback is Lamar Jackson than Kyler Murray?
1: Uh, I think pretty significantly better. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's hard to place it, I think, in the right context. Um I have so much respect for what his offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, is doing uh in, in scheming things up and like really building the offense around him. And as as well as I think Kyler Murray has done as a rookie. One, I I just had, I had bloated expectations for him, but like he hasn't done quite as well as I thought he would, um, both as a, a passer and as a runner and the scheme, um, that Cliff Kingsbury has, hasn't translated as well to the NFL as I thought it would. Uh, and I think there's plenty of room for the scheme to improve and for Murray to improve next year. Um, but I, you know, Lamar Jackson, took a really significant step from year one to year two, um, a a much bigger step than we normally see. And like, so the difference between them right now is massive. And uh, even if Murray takes a significant step next year, it's still unlikely that he's going to be, you know, close to where Jackson is.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and just, to kind of reiterate that step that he the step forward that he took was a massive massive step i still think that we're looking though in a position where uh kyler could be for sure a top 15 quarterback um next season from a yeah. real life perspective uh with just a little bit of progression
1: yeah i mean and from a fantasy perspective i know that's not the same thing but i mean right. there, there's some overlap from a fantasy perspective he's already top 10
2: yeah i agree with that so i actually and this will transition us over the i just made 2 preseason bets i essentially stuck all of the budget i was going to use in the summer into these two bets (laughs) one was on the kyler rushing mark i forget what it was i hit that the other was sony michelle total rushing yards which he did not even sniff the like 1000 plus number that Uh, i got so it was a good uh year for me in that regard I want to review, though, the four MVP tickets that you have, uh, because as you said, when we were kind of getting ready for the show, they really tell the story of the season. So take us through them.
1: Yeah. So I think it was last episode we talked about uh, Lamar Jackson, and I mentioned that I had uh, an MVP ticket on him, but I couldn't remember when I bought it. So I thought it was, you know, during the season and for, you know, fairly low odds, um, but I, you know, I have a lot of open tickets cause I, you know, placed a lot of, uh, you know, preseason prop bets for players. Anyway, I scrolled through those and yeah, I found the four MVP tickets that I have. All of them were placed on June 21 and all of them were long shots. And like, I, I kind of want to talk about the, the rationale Behind mm-hmm. them, because like I think that's like that's the important thing. And I had what I'd say is like a, a GPP type of mindset. So the four MVP tickets: Kyler at hundred to one, Jameis at hundred to one, Lamar at eighty to one, and Roethlisberger at forty to one. And uh, it was you know a, a unit on each one, and um, you know so the idea really. Okay. So I I'm doing a horrible job of talking about this so far, but <laughs> I think people focus too much on trying to think of like, what are the odds of this player being the best player in the league or like, what are the odds of this player having the production necessary to win the MVP award? Um, and like, that's an important part of it, but I think people kind of undervalue the idea that um the mvp award is very much a narrative award like it's it's the story of the season you know what i mean yep. um and so i was trying to think of like if this player has a season that is good enough to win the mvp because let's say like in maybe any given year there could be like anywhere from like 2 to 5 guys who arguably could be the MVP in terms of production, and like what different what differentiates them is like their story and uh, what's happening with their team. And so like the the rationale with Kyler was that like if he does well enough to win Rookie of the Year, uh, and if uh, it happens that Arizona goes from being the worst team in the league to sneaking into the playoffs with like a ten and six record. And if it's a season where some of the key quarterbacks are injured and there's no one who really stands out at the position, maybe Kyler could get it right. Like, yep. uh, so that was the rationale there. The rationale with Jameis was, and I also had a, a ticket on him at 15 to one to lead the league in passing. And that's looking pretty good right now. Um, the rationale with Jameis was, you know, he's been this, uh, turnover prone quarterback But like, we know the upside, we know the offensive weapons that he has, Um, maybe the defense could improve. And like, you know, we look at it now, like that defense, they have the best run defense in the league. Their pass defense is atrocious. It's starting to get better now. But, you know, uh, if he could do what he's done as a passer, (laughs) minus all of the turnovers, like this, this team could be a, a 12 and four team. You know, like he would be in the running for MVP. Um, Lamar, the I mean, like what I envisioned is what has basically happened, except I would say I didn't even envision him being this good. But the idea was that uh, if he has a season that is MVP caliber, what happens is he improves enough as a passer and he just continues to tear it up as a runner and has a record breaking season on the ground. Um, and you know, would kind of gesture towards what Michael Vick could have been and would may, I wouldn't even say transform the quarterback position because it's not as if there are a whole bunch of other guys who can do what he does, but you know, like change the way that people view what the quarterback position can do. Um, and so I, you know, that, that one hit, uh, and so that's looking pretty good for me. And then the Roethlisberger—I mean, that that one was dead before you know week two was even over. But yep. you know, the idea there was that um, there might be no bigger story in a different universe, like no bigger story than Antonio Brown leaving the Steelers. And if Roethlisberger could do what he's done in the past, but do it without Antonio Brown, that would be a massive story. And well, yep. if the Steelers were still able to make it into the playoffs, win their division, maybe get a first round buy, then I thought he would have a real chance to win MVP. If for no other reason than the league would kind of be looking for a reason to stick it to Antonio Brown.
2: Also, too, it would be without Le'Veon Bell as well, coming off the holdout, heading into the season. That was one of the stories. Um, I think that all of those make sense. I really like the rationale. Uh, And fortunately for you, it looks like one of them is going to pan out pretty nicely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The interesting thing, though, as we're talking through Jameis, and he's one of those players we end up talking about a lot. I would love to know if there is anything that anybody could do to limit the interceptions. Like, are they just inherent within him? Like, did he come out of the womb throwing interceptions?
1: I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think they're just, they're inherent to who he is. You know, I mean, it's, it's too easy to say like, oh, he's just a gung slinger. So you have to take the, you know, the bad with the good. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I I don't know enough about football in the quarterback position in general to say like, oh, this is his problem. Like this one thing is his problem. Um, I mean, I'm sure he has multiple problems. Um, whether it's, you know, like focus or technique or reading through progressions, like whatever, like inability to yep. diagnose the, the defense before the snap, whatever it is, like there are probably multiple things going on. And uh, I think if it could have been solved by now, it would have been right. Um, but it can probably still be diminished you know, like he can probably go from throwing 28 interceptions (laughs) per year to, to, you know, maybe just like, uh, 18, like that on its own would be massive improvement. It would. Well, you know, and I'm not entirely
2: serious about there. I wonder if there's any correlation between, uh, like just risk taking behaviors in general and interceptions because clearly (laughs) off the field, right, right. There's like been a lot of bad decisions. Um, and it, goes over to the field i would love to do some type of study on this
1: i'm i'm sure that there's a correlation because i like i imagine that this is more of like a mental mindset than anything else yeah
2: some type of entitlement that translates into (sighs) thinking you can't make any mistakes this is getting so into the field of uh just like you know ridiculous armchair um psychology but hey you know that's what the good people are here for right? right exactly um, it's, it's
1: week seventeen. Like yes. if, they're, if they're listening, they they know what they're getting.
2: Yes, for sure. Uh, so that took us through your MVP tickets. Uh, I understand too that you also have some rookie futures that you want to touch upon.
1: Yeah. So here's a, a kind of bigger question: Who do you think is the offensive rookie of the year right now? Like I think it's pretty open. Oh,
2: yeah, it is. Um, I mean,
1: there's there's a case that could be made for Josh Jacobs. But he's he was missed, the first name
2: that came to mind for me.
1: He's missed, I I think, too many games yep, if he, as
2: of late, especially.
1: Yeah. And, and so like those are the games that kind of sit in people's minds. And so if he finishes the year with 13 games, you know, 1300 scrimmage yards, that's like that's good. Like that's definitely not anything uh, that someone could say was like a bad season for him. Um, but. Like, is it really much better than Miles Sanders? You know, like Miles Sanders has uh, almost that many scrimmage yards. Granted, he's gotten it in two more games. But um, like Sanders, I think, especially these past couple of weeks, has looked more impressive than Jacobs has at any point in the season. And then like I think of A.J. Brown uh, with what he's done recently, like he has looked like a legit producer. Um even last week when he was held to just one reception because he was in the Marshawn Lattimore zone, he still scored a touchdown on a run, you know, like he has a chance to have a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns. Um, I mean, he's super impressive. And then of course, Kyler. Um, and even though Kyler hasn't had an outstanding season, he still had a really, really pretty good season. Like I'm, I'm kind of shocked that more people aren't talking about um, like how productive he's been.
2: Yeah. So um, just in case people are not aware, if you look at his stats across the season, uh, currently 323 of 500, 3,397 passing yards, 65% completion rate, 18 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions, uh, 544 yards rushing with four rushing touchdowns. I think, though, what you're seeing here is there have been players like Lamar Jackson this year crushing it so much that it takes away right. some of the attention from what we would see with a player like
1: Kyler Murray. Yeah, I think that's right. So, who do you think is, like, if you had to choose right now, who would you choose? It's uh, not Andy Isabella?
2: <laughs> no, probably not. No, that didn't pan out <laughs> for us. No. <laughs> I mean, a- I guess. 80 to 1. No, that didn't. Yes. <laughs> if I really. If I'm choosing personally for me, I say that I think it, it's Kyler, uh, because it's been consistent. It's been across the season. Those numbers are very good. I rule out Jacobs because of the missed games. Sanders, I would have liked to have seen it happen across the whole season. If I'm the person choosing this article, uh, excuse me, choosing this award. Now, I guess one thing we have to consider in here is how much of a narrative-driven award is this. It's, well. less, it's less it's much so. less
1: narrative driven yeah I see, yep i can't yeah. help but feel though,
2: like a player like aj brown who could make a really good play uh, case for it showing how good he was playing for the titans i'm just not sure that people are aware of how good he actually was yeah so i think i, I, I think need I think to rule fair. him out yeah i i well it's definitely not david montgomery who we also have on the list here yeah oh gosh and i just don't see how it can go to jacob so i think it has to go to kyler
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's, is either Jacobs or Kyler and I could see it going to Jacobs. Um, Hard knocks. I, I feel like on some level that helps. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I actually could see that working first um, round. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, um, the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year tickets that I have, and I did it in kind of a staggered way so that um if Kyler won, I would win a very little bit, but pretty much break even. Uh, and so I was using Kyler as basically the way of free rolling all of my other, uh, rookie of the year bets. Um, so I had Kyler at six to one Jacobs at 12 to one Sanders at 30 to one, which I think that was a really good number. Um, Montgomery at 35 to one me Hardman at 50 to one and Andy Isabella at 80 to one. And the one, guy in there who's really missing is AJ Brown. (laughs) So (laughs) if if he wins, like congratulations to him, obviously Uh, he was available at 25 to one, but I just didn't think that there would be the volume in the Tennessee offense to go around even. And and the thing is I thought highly of him as a prospect uh, and even as a dynasty asset, I really wasn't too worried about where he landed um I still had him like ranked pretty highly uh relative to other people who did like rookie dynasty rankings but I still didn't think he would be this good uh and or this good this quickly. Um, yeah. so I just I I did not see AJ Brown coming. So serious um, question though on
2: yeah. AJ Brown. Let's say that uh Tennessee had stuck with Marcus Mariota. Do you think that we're still looking with at a similar outcome? No. Not at I all. I don't either. So yeah. that's one other thing that you probably couldn't have accounted for heading into the season.
1: Yeah. Although, like, if you had asked me, does Mariota get benched at some point? Like, I probably would have said yes. I just yeah. wouldn't have anticipated that Ryan Tannehill would turn into, uh, I mean, name your top five quarterback. Like, I just, I, Russell Wilson, I wouldn't have expected that Tannehill would become Russell Wilson.
2: Yeah, I don't think anybody would have placed a wager on that. So that definitely um is surprising. Uh, I had a good follow up for you on that list that I wanted to ask. Um but another thought just j- just hits me here. Have you ever seen A Beautiful Mind with uh, Russell Crowe?
1: No. It's uh it's on the list but never seen it. So it's about uh I believe
2: John Nash was his name, you know, the mathematician, guy yeah. that kind of brought the theory uh, or game theory. In mm-hmm. um, economics, to to the forefront, there's a lot of scenes in this movie where like he's like drawing in like marker on like a window and doing all of these calculations and stuff. And I just picture you like sleepwalking down one night into your into your office with all of these doors, which for whatever reason I'm picturing as as glass, and you're just like scribbling all of these numbers. And your wife comes down, she's just like Matt, what are you doing? And you're like, it's just like all of the open bets you have at at any given time.
1: It's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm calculating the odds. Yes, uh, yes uh, they are glass doors, by the way. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: but uh, no, I, I do that on a spreadsheet. I'm not okay. an animal.
2: Okay. Um, is your wife aware of how many open tickets you have at, at, at any given point in time? No. No, no. So I mean, so she has no concept of how much of the of the household free, Friedman money is just floating around in the in the cloud, if you will, at any oh, given time. Well, I
1: mean, like, yeah, she hasn't. She has an idea of that, but like, she, I mean, she doesn't like know the specifics of like, oh, I have you know like two open tickets versus like a hundred open tickets. You know, <laughs> like, well, it is like the a hundred open tickets? You know, like because they're season long player props, like they're they're right. low limits. You know, right. so like it's not as if like it's like, oh hey, I put um a thousand dollars on uh whether Will Greer will play a game this season or not. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which by the way, that that one cashed, nailed it. But um no, it's you know, but so yeah, they, they add up, you know, but it's yep. like anytime, you know, I see a prop that I think offers value, you know, I, I can't put much on it, but you know, I just you know try to snipe it and uh you know, take the value that's there.
2: And with that, I should probably remind our great listeners out there that uh, you still can get in on the betting action, and you should do so at MyBookie. It is where I play. I know I'm going to get my money. The payouts are quick. It really is a no-brainer. You need to try out my bookie. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie really has it all. So many different contests you can play in, a great interface. And if you are new to betting, you don't need to worry about it. They have a patient customer service team that can walk you through the entire process. You have a RotoViz promo code you can use at checkout to get some perks. Again, I want to repeat that you need to go to mybookie.ag if you are interested in getting in on the action, having Fun during the playoffs, during all of these college bowl games. It's a great way to augment your football viewing experience. Definitely head over to mybookie.ag and get in on the action with mybookie. You play, you win, you get paid. And on that note, Matt, I think that we can turn our attention towards the final week of the 2019 regular season and I want to start with a team that you are probably not very pleased with at the current point in time, and that is the Dallas Cowboys, a team favored by eleven and a half over Washington, which, given the events of this weekend, I'm not sure uh, I really agree with favoring this team by eleven and a
1: half yeah, uh, I mean, here's the thing. amazingly, they still have a game to to play for, I mean, if they win and the Eagles lose the Cowboys <laughs> will be in the playoffs, which is just mind it's mind numbing, but uh, that's where they are. Uh, the problem is that uh, Jason Garrett is a horrible head coach. I'm not breaking <laughs> any news there. No. <laughs> and uh, you know, the Cowboys, they really underperform in the situations where they should have an edge. So when they are at home, when they are favorites and you put those two things together, when they are home favorites, they are the worst team in the league against the spread in the Garrett era, um, you know, which is just like a damning indictment of his ability as a coach. So, uh, I am with pleasure betting, I hope for the last time against Jason Garrett's Dallas Cowboys as home <laughs> favorites.
2: I love it. I love it. Um, Green Bay, who currently, um, Not that anybody cares, so I'm not even going to mention what the score is right now. (laughs) Right? Nobody's going to care about that. Um, However, though, um, the Packers favored by nine and a half is what I'm seeing things opening at against the Lions. That's an interesting spread to me. Ah, I kind of feel like forced. Like if I was going to take it, I'd actually take the Packers on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going with the Packers there and it, you know, it depends on where you, where you find that I got on it pretty early and got it at nine and a half. It's, it's moved to 10, but I think it will probably bounce around between nine and a half or 10. Um, and you know, the, the rationale for me, it's, uh, you know, kind of double, um, the lions suck. This is not anything original that I'm saying, but uh, you know I think they've been worse than people probably appreciate since they lost Matt Stafford. Uh, opponents against the spread are five one and one versus the Lions in the post Stafford games, uh, and then you have the Packers on the other hand who actually have games to play for, right? Uh, so we're recording this during Monday Night Football. If they win, they're still in the running for the number one seed. Uh, and, you know, the first round bye. If they lose, then they will be competing with the Vikings for the NFC North title. So, you know, they are motivated either way to win this game. Uh, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers has done well historically against divisional opponents, whether that's, you know, regular season or postseason, what have you. So, uh, multiple reasons, I think, to like the Packers in this game.
2: Fair enough. Um, the over under for the Kansas Kansas City Chiefs-Los Angeles Chargers matchup is 47.5. I'm thinking that might be a little low. Am I wrong? I
1: mean, I like the under. Um, Okay, break it down. Yeah. Well, and actually, it's moved. I got it at 47.5. It's moved to 46.5. I still think it offers some value there um, for a few reasons, but... um, So there are... a a couple of trends that factor into this. So uh, just, and I think we talked about this last week, but you know, the December divisional games where you have teams playing against each other for the the second time, those games tend to go towards the under. And that's even uh, emphasized a little bit more when that game is outdoors. uh, And that's what we see here. And then specifically uh, with Arrowhead Stadium, it's been the most underprone stadium in the league in the Reed era. And I think part of that just has to do with how Andy Reed, uh, you know, calls the game. Uh, But then also it's just a tough place to play. Like they have a true home field advantage, which means that, uh, you know, teams score far fewer points there. And then the chiefs are actually one of the few teams in the league to score fewer points at home than on the road. Uh, So, you know, in the Reed era, the chiefs are 36, 21 and one to the under, uh, and that's going back to 2013. So even though they have an explosive offense, uh, I think this is going to be a little bit more of a defensive game.
2: Okay. Well, um, you know, I would be lying if I said you hadn't convinced me on the under there. Um,
1: I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, and the thing is there can be, there can be a good reason for why this game would go over. You know what I mean? Like you could, you could easily see it happening, which is, you know, like, and that's like the beauty of the betting market. Um, You know, ultimately the market will dictate where the line goes, uh, you know, and the market for NFL is pretty darn efficient. Uh, You know, and so sometimes you'll get the, you know, the better of a line and, you know, maybe you'll win, maybe you'll lose, but you know, really you're just kind of hoping to be on the sharp side a little bit more than you're not.
2: For sure uh the dolphins plus 16 and a half at new england i know where i would be leaning in this one but where are you
1: well well, where would you go on this
2: (laughs) i'm taking the patriots for sure on this one really yeah um i know it's an absolutely huge spread and i know that the dolphins always play the patriots tough but um You know, this is one where I'm not going to be able to give a logical take. It just feels like, which is the worst thing I could ever say on this podcast. It just feels like a spot where the Patriots put things together and just just blow them
1: up. All right. Well, we might have to uh, coordinate a little friendly action on this one. But, um, (laughs) no, I I mean, I could, you know, the Patriots beat them. Was it by like 34 points or 40, whatever it was. I mean, like the Patriots destroyed them early in the season. I believe it was in, you know, like week three whatever it was, the, the Patriots a week to 43 to zero, right? Yep. They just dominated them. So uh, you could see it happen, but here's the thing. I, this Patriots team, I think is not as good now as it was then like that Agreed. Patriots team was sharp to open the season. Uh, and now they are missing two starting cornerbacks. And that secondary is, I think uh, the heart of that defense Uh, And so missing two starting cornerbacks against a high variance quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think could be significant. And the Dolphins are not the horrible team that they were at the beginning of the season. So in weeks one through four, they had a negative 34.3 point differential. Like that is, that is like all time bad. They scored six and a half points per game and allowed 40.8 points per game. But after the buy, they had the buy in week five, and I should say in September, they went 0-4 against this spread, but since then, they are 8-3 against this spread, and they have a point differential of just minus 4.9, which obviously is still not great, but it is so much better than they were before. They're allowing fewer points, they're scoring many more points, um... I think they're going to be able to keep it relatively close. Like, do they still lose by double digit points? Yeah, probably. But I I would put that number closer to like 13 or 14 as opposed to 16 and a half. And I would expect that this number will drop throughout the week and maybe settle around 14 and a half.
2: Yeah, that 16 and a half is an absolutely huge number. Um, which might be why uh, it's a good time for some people to get in on that. But I think that that's fair enough um, on that analysis there. Um, the Giants and the Eagles you had highlighted, the over-under is at 46. What's the insight there?
1: Yeah, um, pretty easily I'm going to be going to the under here. Um, and it's, yeah, I bet it at 46 it's, it's moved to 45.5 and, you know, I think it will probably fluctuate in that range. Uh, but really we just, we have the Eagles, you know, they're playing for the NFC East championship, given what's at stake. I think they're going to slow it down, play with a little more, you know, intentionality. And again, they're playing a divisional opponent in the second game of the season. The weather is colder. They're playing outside, um, This just, you know, this seems like the game that goes towards the under and ends up being like a, I don't know, a 21-17 or, you know, 24-23 type of game, like something like in that neighborhood. There's another matchup on the slate
2: in the upcoming weekend with a pretty big spread. So we have the Saints favored by 13 at the Panthers who really self-destructed over the weekend are you taking the Saints to cover that 13 point spread?
1: Yeah, uh I am. And nice. part of it is uh the the Panthers seem to me just to be in such disarray right now like they're starting a a third string rookie quarterback, you know, he's making just his second NFL start. Um they were beaten by the Colts who, you know, on their own are pretty mediocre and they were soundly beaten 38 to 6. Um, since the team let ron rivera go uh ron rivera rather since ron they let Riviera, ron rivera I love go. it <laughs> yeah just you know making his name a little bit fancier yeah. <laughs> S- since they let ron rivera go uh you know and this is a small sample but opponents are 20 and 1 against the spread um and specifically I-, I did some research on this and i was wondering how have like like really good teams, like teams that are vying for uh you know the division or playing for, you know, the potential spot of, of you know first round bye. How have those teams done in week 17 when they're playing a divisional rival? So a team that actually, you know, might really care about beating them, but like a bottom feeder divisional rival who has like no motivation to play other than the fact that they're playing someone in their division. Right? And overwhelmingly uh, the team that has had something to play for, like the good team, has covered. Uh, well, I say overwhelmingly. It's not all that over, but it's you know twenty-one to fourteen uh, yep. against this spread, which is pretty good. Um, and granted, we're dealing with a small sample, but you know that's just sort of like a um, a historical perspective on it. But just on its own, I think the Saints are playing so well right now, and the Panthers are so clearly not that 13 feels fine
2: how many yards or actually let me take this differently how many catches does Michael Thomas have in that game you think
1: I mean I don't know 20
2: 25 Uh, that's what it feels like
1: (laughs) well here's the thing like he's going against James Bradbury who is like um who's inconsistent like there are games where Bradbury can just get blown up but then there are other games where like he can be pretty good. And because of like he's a bigger physical corner and you know, they play him in shadow coverage against the bigger physical wide receivers. And so last year he actually did a really good job against Michael Thomas. You know, Thomas I think on 12 targets was held to something like 70-ish yards without a touchdown in two games. Like that was that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um but you know this year uh you know, Thomas had 100 yards and a touchdown like his standard 100 yards and a touchdown against the Panthers. So you, it's just it's hard to know how it's going to go. Fair enough. Um, an interesting
2: matchup uh, in the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers plus two and a half at the Baltimore Ravens. Is it true that the Ravens have come out at this point and they've said that they are sitting Lamar Jackson? Yes, and this, Do you this is it? A f- I mean, it, that's a huge. That's a huge thing to already come out with. Uh,
1: oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. I totally believe it because what's yep. their motivation? And the thing is, right. uh, the market believes it because when I bet it, it was at two and a half, but it's moved to minus two. Like the Steelers are now favored by two points in this game, uh, so the the market entirely believes it. And I would bet this to two and a half. I would maybe even bet it to minus three because the Ravens have no incentive to go out there and start Lamar Jackson uh, or any of their like high quality players. Right. Uh, and they also don't have any incentive to really expose uh, Robert Griffin, III third to potential injury. So like I could see him, like I could see them playing a very conservative style of offense with him. um, Because I mean, the last thing you want to do, like, it's it's bad to get your your quarterback injured, but it's bad still to get your backup quarterback injured right. right before the playoffs. So, like, I think they're going to be extremely vanilla and treat it like a preseason game and just hope that they can get through it without having anyone injured or uh, kind of showing off anything that they might want to do in the playoffs. Uh, and then you have the Steelers who are playing for their postseason hopes. Uh And by the way, like the Steelers were bad to open the year in weeks one and two. But, you know, I don't think it's a direct uh correlation or I don't think it's a, a cause that, hey, they lost Ben Roethlisberger and all of a sudden they're better against the spread. I mean, they also got Minka Fitzpatrick in week three, but in weeks one and two, you know, they had a negative 16 point differential. Uh, since they added Minka Fitzpatrick, which just also happened to coincide with when they lost Ben Roethlisberger, they are nine and four against the spread and have a positive point differential. Um, you know, I just think they are playing to win and the Ravens are playing just to get through the game.
2: Great stuff there. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? That, uh, in the case of the Ravens, they happen to have one of the very few individuals in the league that could do some of what Lamar Jackson can do. Um, So it is interesting that, yeah, there is a reason they have to keep him uh, pretty contained and prevent him from getting injured.
1: Yeah, I mean, they have the original Lamar Jackson. It's just that, you know, RG3 wasn't able to sustain it, um, you know, in part, I think, because he, he wasn't as good of a player, but then also he, you know, had the devastating ACL injury and he never fully recovered from it.
2: Yep. Tennessee Titans, Houston Texans. The over is at
1: 48. All right. So I got the wrong side of this number. I have oh to say, oh boy. Um, So I bet it at 48 and it's moved down to 45 and a half. So it's like, yeah, that, that sucks. But um, yep. I would, I would rather have been kind of aggressive on it. I, I should have thought a little bit more that this might move down because the Texans have nothing to play for. Uh, So, you know, you kind of figure that they're not going to play their starters for the full game. But one thing that is interesting, and I could see this line move back up a little bit. um, the, The Texans coach has said that they are planning to play like they they want to win. Um, you know, and part of it is maybe because they just have this mentality of, we want to stay sharp. We're not you know, exactly where we want to be on offense or defense. We want to get more reps. I don't think it's a great idea, but whatever that's, it seems like that's the mentality that they have. And also like they're playing a divisional opponent. Like they have the chance to knock the Titans out of the playoffs before the playoffs even start, you know, like they might, they might think that that's too good of an opportunity not to take. Um, so anyway, uh, if the Texans are out there with their offense playing to win, um, even if they have their defense out there as if that's going to stop anything, um, you know, even if they <laughs> they have their starting defense out there, I still think it's more important for them to have their offense out there for the over. And uh, Tannehill's Titans can put up enough points against the first unit defense of the Texans to push us to the over. So, in Tannehill's nine starts. Um, the Titans have scored 29.9 points. They've allowed 25 points. And part of that is because, you know, they've had uh, injury issues in the secondary. But I think also some of it is because uh, opposing teams have had to score more points. They've had to play more aggressively to try to keep up with the Titans. Uh, And so in Tannehill's nine starts, the over is eight and one. And so if the Texans actually play uh, their starters for a significant chunk of the game I do think this has a pretty good chance of hitting the over especially since it's dropped down now to 45 and a half and so I, I bet it originally at 48 and uh, I bet it again at 45 and a half for a you know, like a smaller amount
2: very nice um, the final game I want to talk about but before we talk about the game in specific Marshawn Lynch to the Seahawks is a possibility <laughs> Um, Yeah.
1: And and Robert Turbin, Robert Turbin. Oh,
2: my goodness. Yeah. They're Uh, really
1: turning back the clock there.
2: Yeah, they are. CJ Anderson's also in discussion. I really, though, would like to see uh, Kristen Michael get another crack at uh, lead back duties in Seattle.
1: Yeah, we, we we were doing at, at Action Network and Fantasy Labs, we're we're doing the week seventeen rankings and uh yeah, odds maker Sean Corner made made that joke of like, man, what about what about Kristen Mike he was like, even what about Sean Alexander? Like, oh, my let's just gosh. put him in our projections. Because like in order to make the the projections for the Seahawks backfield, uh he had to just throw in some random players. Like you don't know right. who they're going to be, but you can't give a hundred percent of the carries to, uh, Travis Homer, you know? So he, he put in Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin as placeholders, but it it almost doesn't really matter who those other players are. I mean, I guess it does to the extent that like, when you know who they are, you'll make adjustments for, you know, market share and efficiency and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, Marshawn Lynch to the Seahawks would be, uh, amazing, but it would be, it would be fun. It would be peak content for it to be Kristen Michael. Yes. Uh, anyway the team
2: is a three-point underdog against San Francisco
1: yeah so I am uh, on the Seahawks and I don't love it uh, I have to say uh, so maybe I shouldn't have bet it but Mm -hmm. um, underdogs against Mike Shanahan's 49ers are 10-4-1 against this spread and the Seahawks at home they, they just, they actually have, I, I think people overvalue home field advantage, but the Seahawks actually have a real home field advantage. And I think it's possible that people don't value that enough. Um, under Pete Carroll, the Seahawks have scored 7.2 points more than their opponents when they are at home. And that's the third largest differential in the league across that time. Uh, and the only teams that have more uh, are Tom Brady right at Foxborough and Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau field. Like both of those make sense. But if like, I think people probably don't think of Carroll, you know, with Russell Wilson as being in that same kind of like home field advantage type of territory as the Patriots at Foxborough and the Packers at Lambeau, but they really are. Uh, So with Carroll, the Seahawks at home are 48, 34 and three against the spread. And they're even better in the Russell Wilson era. So, uh, you know, given how uh, negatively the 49ers have performed as favorites and then how well the Seahawks have performed at home throughout the Carroll era, uh, I would be inclined to take the Seahawks here as underdogs. Well, uh, we will soon find
2: out uh, some compelling arguments there from uh, Mr. Friedman, which is why this man is a professional Uh, closing thoughts for us to uh, wrap up the 2019 fantasy football season.
1: Uh, Professionals putting it way too kindly. Um, (laughs) uh, Someone who, someone who dabbles uh, is, is a more accurate description. Uh, Yeah. Quick, quick uh, question here. Yep. Do you know of any leagues that do something smart with week 17? Because like, I, I know like a lot of leagues end in week 16. And I think that makes sense. Like, I think your championship game should be week 16. I think if you include week 17, you're just opening it up to way too much randomness. Yeah. But like, I've always liked the idea of a league that does something interesting with week 17.
2: I actually um, have always thought that uh, in my mind, I always say I'm going to get a league together and I'll be the commissioner next season and we'll do things right. That never happens. But in my mind, in this league, week 17 is always a free for all. Team with the most points gets the uh, first draft pick. Um,
1: And and like in this league, I'm
2: picturing it as like a redraft league. So you'd get the first, you'd get to choose if you wanted the first overall pick next season.
1: Yeah. So in the the dynasty league I'm in, we did something like that for a few years where uh, whoever would win week 17 in the free for all uh, would get a. like a free third round rookie pick the following year, yep. Um, which like, I think that's like a sufficient reward because you don't want it to be worth too much. Um, But like, it's enough to where it's like, you know, that could be an actual player or maybe you could package that in a trade for something better. Um, But we don't do it anymore just because the platform we're on doesn't allow people to make waiver moves Mm. after the championship. So like, we're just kind of trying to think about, new ways, but I I would be interested in knowing uh if people do cool things for uh for week seventeen and you know how it works in their league.
2: I like it. So if anybody out there has that, um either send a tweet to at Matt F the Oracle. You can also reach me at Dave F and you can email the show at um you know what it's funny how often I say this. I'm pretty sure it's rotoviz radio at gmail.com. That's right. That is what it is. Yeah um if you have anything else shoot us an email there's going to be a lot of free time now as far as content goes or or let me say that differently there's going to be a lot of open air time that we can fill differently so if there are certain things you want to hear about definitely shoot us an email uh hopefully you are closing out this season with at least one championship if not We will do our best to get you ready for a championship in 2020 by 100% making Juju Smith-Schuster our number one overall pick for the upcoming season. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.